Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Culture Pop Selects, the one and only official pop culture and media discussion podcast of Culture Pop. Um, we have got a great episode for you today. Uh, this is episode five, uh, and I am your host, the one and only Bebop Man, Josh McMullen, and I am joined today by my co-host for this podcast, the one and only Gil Beasy, Mr. Gilbert Kitchens. How are you doing today, sir? What up? Oh? I don't have anything profound to say apart from what up. Okay. Fair enough. I mean... Slow morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I finished up uh, actually reading this morning the, um, the book because I got it late i forgot that we were doing this episode this week so i was like oh yeah and then ended up uh having to read it in about two days so not not terrible but i had to get up a little bit early to finish this um but yeah cool well uh you've been up to anything exciting no not really i uh i tried Fortnite this morning Oh, look that's at you. Ex- that's exciting. I was bored, and I thought, I'll, I'll see what these kids are doing. Uh, I don't know how many kids are playing this. They got fucking Resident Evil and Dune in there. I don't know what kids are into those, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I'm glad that... Uh, Fortnite got into your system for a little bit. Um, actually, I don't even know why I said that because I'm definitely not. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> um, it's questionable life choice. Yes, <laughs> very questionable. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, with that, with that said, um, I'm gonna do a little PSA real quick before we jump into the topic of the show. Uh, go see Last Night in Soho. Very good movie. Support good movies in the theaters. Don't sit on them and wait for them to come to streaming because fuck you. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So this week uh, we're talking about um, a completely new and different medium yet again. Um, we've covered what movies we've covered uh, a video game. We've covered a an album, a piece of music. Um, or uh, a work of music. And this week we are com- covering uh, the comic book or graphic novel, depending on how, you know, you want to... How pretentious you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're we're talking this week about what some consider the greatest graphic novel to ever be written, and that is 1987's The Watchmen. Or I, I think it's actually just titled Watchmen, but yeah. Um, so... Uh, what was your what was your first exposure to to this uh, book? Uh, to the book, I read it this week. Um, I think like a lot of people, uh, kind of came to mainstream attention. Well, I don't know, I wasn't around in the eighties, but it kind of came to mainstream attention with the Zack Snyder film. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing trailers for that. I didn't go see it. Like like. I don't know, maybe two, three years later, I downloaded it completely legally and uh, uh, watched it at home. Um, and honestly, I've barely thought of it since. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, 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 not much exposure, really. I've never even thought about reading the comic until this this 
you know, this episode. Um, okay. Well, fair but, enough. Uh, yeah. Um, my recollection of this coming into my consciousness, uh, is not too dissimilar. Um, mine actually, I was working at the, the movie theater in 2006, roughly, um, 2006, 2007, somewhere in that time frame, And, um, so I was, uh, there and I had a buddy who I worked with who was really into comics and he, um, he got into the Frank Miller stuff when 300 came out. So, uh, he was reading 300 right before the movie came out. And then he, uh, started watching or not watching. He started reading the Watchmen directly after. And he was like, you've got to read this. You've got to read this. Um, and I didn't actually get around to it until the movie was coming out. And then I was like, okay, I should probably read this first. And, uh, so I did. And, um, yeah, it was, it's something. It is, uh, definitely a, well, we'll we'll get into it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, all right. So first, uh, I wanted to go through a little bit of backstory on this, uh, this book in particular. So, um, are you familiar at all with the, uh, quote unquote, British invasion of comic books in the eighties? Uh, of comic books, no. I know about the the British invasion in the sixties. I didn't know there was a okay comic one, but no. Well, so in the in the eighties, there was this um, weird sort of uh, thing going on in the industry where a lot of people were like starting to try to unionize and and stuff like that. And U.S. comics were trying to find new success. Uh, amidst all of that, and they started turning to people from uh, Britain. Namely, you had people like Mark Miller, uh, Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore, like a a whole bunch of these people. Um, And it was also around this time that DC actually gained... um, uh, Oh, my God. They gained the rights to... Calypso Charlton comics. There it is. Uh, in 1983. So while this was happening, um, Alan Moore was working on a series for, uh, DC called, um, Swamp Thing. And in Swamp Thing, it, it kind of brought the character back to life. It started gaining a little bit of popularity and, uh, it was around this time that Alan Moore came with an unsolicited pitch to the DC heads and said, Hey, you guys just got, you know, the rights to these, uh, Charlton characters and I want to do something with them. Um, I want to kind of like deconstruct the superhero and you know, whatever. Here's, here's my pitch. Well, the DC guys liked it, but they had just gained the rights to the comics. So they said, yeah, we kind of don't want you doing this sort of like adult storytelling or like, you know, killing off major like comic book characters or whatever. When we just got them back, we, we kind of want, you know, to have these people be able to be read again. So why don't you just come up with your own original characters? And so that kind of began the whole, uh, way in for Watchmen being its own completely original book. 
Um, that's really as as far as I could tell. That's really kind of the origins of of this in particular. Um, but Alan Moore, outside of um, Saga of the Swamp Thing, he had actually been working uh, in other uh, comics for for a while. Uh, I think he started in like the the eighties and had originally worked for Marvel. And then uh, it was in 83 that he came over to work for DC after uh, he worked on, it was called 2000 AD and uh, Lynn wine from DC. He was like the, the head editor was like, Hey, I want you to come over and write for us. And that's when he got on board with the swamp thing and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's, more or less the kind of like short and sweet of it um, in terms of where uh, where it all came from. Um, but one thing that I wanted to address is kind of like comics in the 80s because I feel like comics in the 80s was almost like the the golden age um, if you will. Like I, I I don't think that that's the correct terminology because I think people refer to stuff like the, like the forties and fifties as like, yeah, golden age, silver age, all that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's more of like a, a a matter of like who, who says what, when they're talking about it. But like in the eighties, there was like this huge boom in comics. And like, I also, I I mean, I used to be a, a pretty avid reader, but like it was something that like, I didn't get around to until like the early 2000s. So I could be completely speaking out of my ass, but I kind of feel like comics were starting to turn from the stuff that we had seen in the sixties into stuff that was like had darker edges to it. Like in the eighties, you start getting stuff like, like Watchmen, you start getting stuff like, uh, you know, the dark night, uh, the Batman dark night, you're one and all that. Yeah, exactly. You start getting all of those things and it becomes, I don't want to say bigger, but like in many ways, the comics of the eighties were like, I think probably the, the most popular that they will ever be throughout history. Hmm. And I think that that adds a little bit of to, of I guess context to what Watchmen was doing when it arrived in, in 86. Um, yeah, I think, I think it, it's kind of the same trajectory for any art form. You see it with movies and you see it with uh, video games now, especially where it starts out and obviously there's limitations, but it's also just kind of seen as a kind of an entertainment thing. Like comic books were, there was a lot of good stuff before the 80s, but you also had, I mean, they were kind of fun and lighthearted and stuff, but then you have the generation that grew up always having them around, and now they're old enough to make their own, and they, they kind of mature it. Not mm-hmm. it, It's not always that they want to mature it necessarily, it's just now that is their chosen medium, and they have these all these concepts and ideas they want to deal with, and those find their way into that medium. So, like, I mean, you see it with video games where... 
you know, and this isn't to say there haven't been serious storylines in video games in the past, but now there seems to be a real push for mature storytelling <coughs> and themes to be present in these games that mm -hmm. used to be kind of blinky lights on the screen. I mean, like, there's no mature themes in Galaga. It's still a great game, but you know, it's not dealing with anything. But you know, as time goes on, people want more out of it. Mm -hmm. Or kind of, you can even say this echoes with comic book movies, where you had Superman in the seventies, um, the Christopher Reeve movies, right? Yeah. And obviously, there were movies before this, but you have those movies, and they're fun and they're lighthearted um, adventure stories. Or Batman in the eighties too. I'm not a fan of them, but like they're they're fun. I mean, they're they're dark, but they're also you know fun and goofy and quirky, and they have their own personality and all this. But then you, as the time goes on, you have People like Zack Schneider that think Batman should be depressed or Superman should be depressing and Batman too. But <laughs> like, you know, th th there's, there's a desire for heavier themes to enter that space. And now you're getting comic book movies that have all run the gamut of emotions and themes and, and, you know, kind of character arcs and stuff. And so I think that's what you saw in the eighties with comics where people had these characters that meant a lot to them and they wanted to progress them. That's how you go from, kind of goofy batman to year one which kind of rebooted things and put it on a completely different trajectory um, mm -hmm. and i think yeah, that's I, kind of that's what i see when i read Watchmen, where it was like clearly this is somebody who loves comic books who now wants to bring a lot more to the medium yeah yeah and i think that i think that that's really where i i, I was reading into alan moore i don't think that he's a person that i would ever get along with <laughs> too well <laughs> Uh, just based on like things that he has said, but like, I, I think that you can tell even just from like this book alone, you can tell that he has a very fond love, like of, of the comics that he grew up with in, in like, you know, the forties and the fifties and stuff like that. Um, and I, I kind of, I feel that way about a lot of 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 creators during this time like i think during this time you also had the the kind of like rise of um frank miller who i, I mean again it's very clear that he had like a love of batman when he started doing the his run with the batman stuff like year one or with um uh dark knight returns but i mean he also had a really long run on daredevil that like is cited as one of like the greatest runs in comics, you know, kind of ever. And, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of the, the darker edge that came out of this really is kind of, I think noted for, for the times. Uh, cause I don't think that the eighties for, for as much as I love them, I don't think that the eighties were necessarily like the greatest time in history. And you see, I think these people who loved comics, coming out with stuff that kind of spoke to the times that they were living in. Hmm. Um, that's, I mean, I think this is also where you start seeing stuff like the rise of antiheroes. Like, I think that Wolverine became a really popular character, uh, in the mid eighties with Chris Claremont's run on X-Men. You have the Punisher coming out. Um, you know, I don't know. There, there's a there's a bunch of stuff in here, um, but I think another thing that I wanted to touch on is 
uh, during this time, you had a sort of rise in independent publishers as well, which started bringing more competition to the DCs and the Marvels of the time. Um, I think it was around the time of like, I want to say the late seventies. Um, I didn't, again, research this too much, but the, uh, the editor in chief of Marvel comics kind of left and that's when you saw people like Steve Gerber uh, leave. And it was along this time that, like, you had comics like uh, Pacific Comics or Eclipse or um, uh, First Comics even. Uh, these people, like, or these companies sprang up and, and creators were kind of like, they weren't bound to the stuff that the companies were telling them they had to do. And uh, I think that this is another way of like not necessarily showcasing but like showing what happened with uh alan moore and frank miller in in specific because it's around uh, it's like right after the watchman that alan moore kind of becomes like much more of a reclusive person and it's uh, around the end of the 80s that frank miller says uh i'm just gonna go do my own stuff and starts doing like uh, Sin City, and and um, I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he did a a run for uh, what was it called? Oh man, I'm blanking. The Spirit, maybe. I know he also directed that movie, but um, anyway, yeah. So just wanted to touch on on you, you definitely that stuff. see in this book that. So like in the, it may have been the 60s, I think it was the 60s, it may have been like early 70s, where there was a Spider-Man comic. It was really controversial, because there was a guy in there who was on drugs, right? And he was dealing with, I, I, Harry Osborn, I think, had a drug addiction, but there was like a particular issue, I don't think it was Harry, it was somebody else, but there, there was this guy who was high on drugs, and he went up to the rooftop, and he like thought he could fly, and Spider-Man ended up saving him, but... The whole point was Stan Lee wanted to show kids, don't do drugs. It, it fucks you up, right? Right. Yeah. But it didn't get the, there's like, there's like a comic book seal or something, like a rating. Think of it like ESRB or movie ratings or whatever. It was something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And if, as long as a comic book fit certain standards, it would get that seal and it would be sold in certain stores. You know, some people wouldn't sell it if it didn't have that. Um, and so the, the Spider-Man comic ran without that seal for like six issues because it had drugs in it. Even though it was saying drugs were bad, it had drugs in it, right? So mm -hmm. to go from that or like even something like X-Men, which was created, obviously it was still comic books and you can create a comic book like superhero thing that deals with real issues, but it was kind of created around the racial tensions at the time and that's kind of what it was dealing with. But it had to be kind of masks in the superhero thing um kind of in the metaphor and you skip ahead not that long later not even 20 years later about you know you're getting watchmen which is it's just there like, mm -hmm. like they're they're not there's no hiding any of that stuff right it's all over the place you've got you know prostitutes and and sex and drugs and like just straight up murder like like all over the place right yeah. And so I think that really shows the progression comics had gone in leading up to this. 
that it went from and i don't know if this i'm sure the seal was still around and i doubt watchmen had it or i don't know but that didn't seem to hold it back at all you know mm-hmm. so I, th- I think that definitely you know you can see the difference in the and how things you know progress through those years yeah for sure for sure um so i guess let's go ahead and we'll we'll start talking about the the comic book itself um and I think that the the place we'll start is is with the the kind of I I, I say script, but mo- more like the story that yeah. that Watchmen tells. Um, so what what are are your first like initial like thoughts about this? And and, and we can start dig digging deeper. Um. I think it is very clear that before writing anything, he thought through a lot about this world. Mm -hmm. He thought through, okay, there's these characters. So if these characters exist, particularly like Dr. Manhattan, right? If this character exists, what impact would he have on this world? If we were living in a world, I mean, down to the fact that like, as you go through, you see, because there's real superheroes, nobody's reading superhero comics. They're reading pirate comics. Cause nobody, mm-hmm. why would anybody read a superhero comic? You know, who gives a shit? There's real superheroes, right? Yeah. Or different things. Like, I think there was like a, there was like a, like a four legged bird that was being served at a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. It was like genetically engineered chicken genetically or something. Engineered, right. Because you've got now Dr. Manhattan just putting out this knowledge and all these things and technologies improved and all this. And all those little details show how much he thought through the state of the world before he ever wrote the story. Like, he he understood how all these characters worked, how all they, you know, how their backgrounds influenced how they are now. Um, And so that would be my main impression to start with, is just that it's really clear how much work he put into organizing all this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. So I was I was reading a little bit about the 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 comic itself, and um and sort of like the origins of it, and it is very clear to me how much work he he did put into making sure that everything kind of worked within the world that he wanted it to work within, and it's like when I was reading like what he wanted to uh, use the story for was to kind of reflect what was going on in the real world. But, but at the same time to kind of like deconstruct the comic book superhero. And when you look at, I think how he lays these characters out. It's very clear to me that he has a, uh, I feel like, I feel like he has a very clear worldview, but one of the things that I think that this comic actually does really well, and I, I, I'm not sure actually would be done in modern times is it's very, uh, I don't want to say ambiguous but it's it's not preachy at all and it's actually one of the things i think i admire the most about the story is that you have all of these characters that are put into the situations that they're put into right you have uh dan who is 
I think I, I think Dan is kind of like ready or, or not necessarily ready, but he is okay with the world kind of the way that it is. But then you take a look at like say uh well, Lori, that's her name. Um you take a look at her and she's she's almost in the same position, but she's also very much like she hates the way that her life is. And you take a look at Rorschach and he's very like cynical and very uh, like almost to a point nihilistic. And all of these characters are put into a situation that has no real outcome, but they all have bring their own different worldviews to it. And I think at the end of the comic, you kind of are left with taking a look at how different people view the world and which one of those characters imbues the most meaning to you. And I think that the way that it's written, like he really had a sort of like he understood the world that he built and the characters that he was writing better than anyone else could have understood them when he was like finishing up the product. Does it, I feel like I rambled a lot. Does that make sense though? Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, definitely at the end you're left with, I mean, the, the last words are, I hate using this word, but they're, they're kind of meta in a sense where the comic ends with saying, oh, I leave it up to you or whatever. It's, you know, whatever it's in your hands now, or I can't remember what the last words are. It's yeah. It's, like it's something like that. And it's basically like, it never spells out, crystal clear a message it's just kind of like and now it's up to you the reader to interpret this as you will um mm -hmm. i think a lot of the characters were commentaries on different things um particularly rorschach mm -hmm. um well rorschach and and uh vite v i don't know how you say that i don't know how you say it. like vite uh, yeah like i think it. it's ozymandias uh <laughs> ozymandias however you want it. whatever tomato tomato uh I think those two in particular stood out to me as kind of a critique of um, kind of 80s, certain aspects of 80s culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I found them to be very on the nose. Um, but yeah, overall, I think I think the overall message of the story is very much left to you to interpret as you will. It's not it's not going to spell out, you know, it's not a traditional comic book where it ends with, and good always wins. It's, it's, it's just kind of left almost unsatisfying in a sense until you start to think through it in your mind. Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. I, I, I think I agree with that. Um, to at least at the very least to an extent. Uh, so one of the things that I, I, uh, wanted to, touch on i think is something that you you brought up you you felt like uh several of these characters are commentaries on not only 80s culture but i i think of like 80s comics uh in, in a way like um when you think about uh like mr manhattan or dr manhattan not mr manhattan i don't know why the fuck i said that um he's uh, more or less Superman, right? I mean, like he, he has, he's more or less 
like indestructible. And I think that making him into something that is far more alien than I think that Superman actually ends up tending to be. Because when you look at like stuff like, um, I don't want to say like American alien, but like when you look at Superman, like the character as a whole, he's very much American values, very much like hardworking, like middle of the country. Like he stands up for what's good in society. And you look at Dr. Manhattan and I feel like he's kind of like, uh, like a reverse, like, not necessarily a reverse, but like, I feel like he's what a truly like omniscient God sort of thing would be D- like, does that make, I, th- I think, well, it, it's actually interesting you say that because even though what, when we read Superman, you're right, he is very American and, and, you know, good old farm boy and all this stuff. Good, good, you know, family values and all that. Um, but he's more of an alien than Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan was human. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. He still technically on some level is. Um, whereas Superman is is an alien. There is no human in him. He is an alien. It's just, you know, I guess nature versus nurture or whatever. But um, it, it definitely is. I think this whole comic, a lot of these characters are designed around, okay, if superheroes were real, how would they actually be and how would they actually be perceived? Right? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Manhattan is the perfect example of that, where it's like, if you are so far removed from humanity, you are such a different thing. You perceive things on a different level. You, your existence is completely separate to everyone around you. Would you even care? Like, would you even care about all this stuff? Like why, Mm -hmm. as it goes on, it's like, why does this guy, you know, eventually it's like, why does he care about America? But you're all, or not America, but humanity at all. But you're kind of left to be like, why is he like on America's side? Because it's basically like the whole point is, you know, the Cold War is basically spiraling down or winding down because no one's willing to go against America because they've got Dr. Manhattan. But Dr. Manhattan doesn't really care about any of that shit. Like he's so far removed from all that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the politics and all that. So it just seems so petty that he's just, you know, whatever. Um, he more care. He way more cares about just science in general. He's not thinking about any of that. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely does seem like critiques on, not a critique, but just a just a, a, I guess a deconstruction or a you know a, how how would, how would society actually function if we had superheroes? Unlike what you see in comic books most of the time, even today, which is like life is pretty much normal. It's just sometimes a villain pops up and the superhero saves them and thank you, Spider-Man. <laughs> and that's basically it. Like yeah. What, what impact would that actually have on the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I also think that it's funny that, um, uh, it not only does that, like how would society react? Like, like you were pointing out, you know, they have the pirate comics or, or what have you, but like, I also kind of feel like this movie or not this movie, sorry, this book in, in many ways also kind of touches on how that affects people or, or, or not, not people, but how that affects, um, th- like the heroes themselves. Like when you look at, uh, 
again Dan's character he's just kind of like become like almost like a shell of himself since he stopped being a hero and like I mean later in the book like you you find out like when he and Lori are you know trying to have sex or whatever like he doesn't get aroused until like they actually start like fighting crime together again and like I I, I feel like there is a a deep like a almost like deeper like mythos within like what Moore was saying about what these people would go through as being our protectors so to speak yeah so um yeah uh since we are kind of on the subject, I, I did want to bring up, what did you think about the, the kind of like story within the story with the, with the pirate comic? It was interesting. I, th- I guess I can just go ahead and say this now. I think really this, this is of any comic I've ever read. This is a comic that maximizes the potential of the medium just mm-hmm. as a form of storytelling it's embracing it entirely in, in from panel to panel, how it, how it all flows, how, um, you know, you're reading and then suddenly there's chapters of book chapters because, um, because it can be, because it's a reading paper based medium, you know, it's, it's using all the different elements of it to tell this story. And the comic within a comic is kind of part of that, where it's like, it's giving you more context into the world in a sense of this is what kids are reading, I guess this fucking depressing horseshit. <laughs> it's just this, <laughs> yeah. this, 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 like also this fucking moron. That's like, Oh, let me build a raft of dead bodies. That won't cause problems. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I found it really interesting, but again, it, it it's there to communicate to you kind of like, uh, almost like, I guess Tarantino, right? Mm hmm. If this makes sense. All of Tarantino's movies, according to him, are in one world. They're all connected. It's not, you know, the MCU, but it's like, okay, if you know, Pulp Fiction takes place in a world where there was this slave in history that just went around killing a bunch of plantation owners, and then, uh, you know, 70 years later, World War II ended with uh, Hitler getting his face machine gunned off. Like, it's a violent <laughs> world, right? Yeah. It's all... It's all this violence and Kill Bill he even described as a movie, like a fun movie people would go see in his universe. Like the characters in Pulp Fiction would go see something and it would be like Kill Bill, just violence everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And I get that kind of in Watchmen where it's like the way people act, like all their media is just this fucking violent, depressing, you know, mess of stuff, right? There's just death everywhere. Um and so I think kind of that's why it's there. Maybe there was a deeper meaning to that story that I missed entirely. I don't know. Um, I thought it was interesting that, again, I think the most interesting thing out of it is just the fact that it was an interesting use of the medium of comic books is that you can do something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I 100% agree with that. Because something you brought up that I didn't realize when I was like rereading through, like I got through the to the end of issue one and it had like the little... In, uh, I guess insert or excerpt. I, I don't know what yeah. the correct terminology would be for this, but like of the book that the original um, Night oh, Owl had yeah. written. And I was like, I don't remember this. And it, 
is in there for like I, I think the first four issues or something like that. And um there are other things uh I think that there is like a uh maybe it's like a, issue six or something like that. There's a sort of like here's the writer of, of this comic and it's the comic that's in uh in the in the Watchmen. It's the it's the comic that the kid is reading himself. And like, I think that it has a really nice use of, Oh, I mean, I think you said it like it uses the comic book medium to its fullest maximum potential. Hmm. Um, but to, to kind of go into the little, um, tales from the black freighter thing. Did you not see that as a parallel with Adrian's story? Or Ozymandias's story, because I, I think that that's how I kind of read it. Huh. Uh. Yeah, I could see that. I didn't. I didn't quite think about it too. I. I. I guess I wasn't looking for much symbolism in it, so I guess I didn't. Uh, that, yeah. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. I just uh, when I was reading it this time, I was like, um, what? Like I. I when I read it back in like 2008, 2009 or whatever, I, I don't think that I quite understood it, but like I look at it now and you know, it's this tale about this person who's trying to like stop an impending doom that he sees forthcoming. But in the process of doing that kind of like becomes a savage and kills people. And like, I feel like that's al- almost like, Ozymandias's story where he sees the the coming of like uh you know the doomsday clock you know slowly ticking down to midnight or whatever and he's like well you know these tensions between Russia and and the US they're they're continuing to escalate there's nothing's going to happen like somebody has to do something uh well what if i make it look like aliens are attacking us and now we have a whole new threat and we'll have world peace I can see and, that. I, I I can see that. I think the difference would just be the in, in the comic in in the comic within a comic. Uh, you know, the the threat is completely imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. In the real world, or you know, with Ozymandias, it's it is real. It's just his solution is fucked. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I, maybe it, maybe it's providing. I don't know. Maybe there's something to that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, interesting. Uh, I think the only other thing I wanted to ask you about when it comes to well, I, I, so I have two questions. One is I want to ask you what exactly did you think of of Ozymandias's plan? Like, because I remember the first time I read this. Uh, I don't think I understood that his plan was to have this giant squid monster drop into New York. I don't know what I was expecting, but I remember when I was reading it and turning the pages and there's that tentacle there. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And then you keep seeing those. And then there's the big splash page where it's like, the squid looking thing sitting on top of like a building and like all the dead people around it and stuff. 
Um, and I was like, oh, holy shit. And I had to go back and reread what was going on because I don't, I, for whatever reason, I just didn't catch it. Um, but yeah. So what did, what did you think about his plan? Okay. So the whole idea that if something bad enough happens, the world will unify. It's not completely unfounded. I mean, if you look at like prior to Pearl Harbor, half the country wanted to go to war, half the country didn't want to go to world and Pearl Harbor happens and everybody's fucking on board. Right. Yeah. Um, the idea that tragedy can unify people, obviously it hadn't happened yet, but you look at like nine 11, a lot of kind of things got put aside after that. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of differences got put aside. So there is some rationality to that. The one thing I think that comes to mind when, I, when I'm thinking about this and is like faking an alien threat to unify the world. Um, that's kind of the plot of Arrival, which wasn't fake, but it's the whole <laughs> thing is these aliens show up and they're trying to unify us because they need our help in the future and all that. That's spoilers, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, spoilers for Arrival. Great movie. Go see it. Great movie. Yeah, worth seeing either way. Um, but... It's just the scale. and But again, at the same time, like, it's so insane. But if you're willing to kill three million people and you think that's justified, like, I don't know. Are you really going to put something like this past somebody like that? Obviously, the it feels completely out of left field that something like this is even possible. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's It's... It's not the crazy... Well, okay, it's pretty fucking crazy. But it's like... You can see how he kind of got to the idea of I need to create a massive tragedy so that all of this ends. Mm -hmm. um, which I think... I'm, I, I haven't watched... I'm probably never going to watch it, but the, the Watchmen TV show mm -hmm. kind of deals with some of the fallout of that. It's set 40 years later or 30 or 40 years later. And it kind of deals with some of the fallout of that where people are like, okay, this whole thing was a fucking fake... So, like, you know, whatever. I don't know. But um, it, it's a unique plan. I'll give it that. Yes. Very, very, very unique. Something that I probably would not have thought up myself. <laughs> like, yeah. let's make aliens attack us. Um, yeah. It's also a terrible I, attack because it just fucking crash lands and it's dead. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, that's all it does. It's like, well, damn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, one thing I did want to, to mention, we're not talking about the movie. Um, you know, we're strictly speaking to the comic, but one thing that I, I did want to mention, I was never a big, uh, fan of the movie because I, one thing that bothers me about adaptations, it, it goes one of two ways, either it's not faithful enough or it's way too faithful. Um, to the point where it's like, well, why would I not just like read the comic? And I, I understand the differences in the medium and stuff like that, but I feel like the movie, uh, or I felt like the movie, um, steered way too close to the source material in like that, like whole shots were lifted straight from the comics sort of thing. But, um, I actually did end up watching it yesterday just to have like a refresher. And one of the things that I, I really think that it actually did kind of well is I really think that the, they, uh, sort of like final 
solution. That's never scratch that. That's a bad <laughs> phrase. The 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 sort of um, plan. There we go. The final part of the plan for Ozymandias makes way more sense in the movie than it does in this. I think because then it it kind of like is speaking much more to nuclear weapons. I think <clears throat> in the movie than this does. And I think that this book kind of touches on that sort of stuff. Like Dr. Manhattan for, I, I mean, he is a stand in for nuclear warfare. I mean, that's kind of what he is. Right. Mm. Um, but I, I feel like the movie actually does a, a really good job of making the plan be more feasible and point towards the theme than I remembered it doing. Um, yeah. And I will say, I didn't watch the whole movie uh, yesterday, but I did just like, as I was reading through the comic, I was like, okay, some of this, I do remember some of these visuals. And so I just looked up the opening scene where the comedian is killed. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at the comic book and it's like, damn like you literally framed it the same like he gets like kicked back into the wall and there's like a like a pinup girl poster mm -hmm. and it's like framed exactly the same as it is in the comic and i was like man this is like the attention to detail <laughs> like yeah yeah it's, it's really kind of crazy how much snyder like put from the comic into the movies yeah <coughs> excuse me oh gosh that's what editing yeah. is for that's what editing is for. I probably won't remember to edit that, but that's, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, that'll that'll be for Tani if it doesn't get edited there out. Um, yeah. So uh, I I think we kind of touched on it a little bit, but did, were there any like big themes outside of like maybe like the deconstruction of of heroes that uh, that you got out of this? Uh, like I said, there was definitely some critique of the '80s. I mean, you have uh Vot Vite Ozymandias, whatever, um who took his heroism and marketed it and sold toys of it and became rich on it and then used his richness to manipulate the world. I think there's definitely something, you know, there. There's a lot of I disagree, but there's a lot of critique from people who look at the 80s as this this pinnacle of greed and all this stuff. I think it was... I'm not going to get into it. But there's a lot of people who have that very cynical view of the 80s where it was just like everything sucked because people were getting rich and all this stuff. And so there was kind of that. I think uh, we can get into this later more with the character discussion. But like Rorschach um, was definitely a critique of conservative ideas um you know conservative hypocritical conservative ideas oh yeah um because he is he's so focused on not compromising his principles and he's going to stick to it but like he'll walk into a bar and break a random dude's fingers <laughs> yeah yeah he'll just murder everybody in a fucking prison he'll uh you know when when he finds out that that uh, the comedian or, you know, it's brought up that the comedian raped Silk, Silk Spectre or attempted to. He's like, ah, well, you know, we all have our moral failings or whatever, but, like, yeah. he's a war hero, so good for him. <laughs> it's like, so I think that's a, that's trying to be, like, cynical view of, of, I don't know, Republicans or conservatives or whatever in the 80s. Um, so there's definitely yeah. a lot of, a lot of politics at play in this and a lot of views on, on, 
America and capitalism and free market ideas and things like that. Yeah, yeah, I I think you 100% knocked it out of the park. Uh, the only other one I think I, I kind of, I, in a smaller sort of way, kind of latched onto was I, I think there's a like undercurrent of like power and who holds power in the comic because I, I feel like throughout the entire, like each issue or, or chapter or whatever you want to call it, uh, you kind of focus more or less on a different character. Like, I, I mean, there are whole issues where things kind of are like interspersed, but like, I feel like each issue kind of has like a different sort of purpose to it. And it's taking a look at the character that is sort of like the, the hero of, that chapter, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes a look at power dynamics within those individual chapters in a really interesting way. Like you take a, like if you just take a look at like Ozymandias's, um, sort of, uh, uh, well, just his character in general, but like he ends up gaining a lot of power through money. You get a look at Dr. Manhattan and he gets, you know, his power, Dr. Manhattan and kind of like through extension America, he gets power through like nuclear devices, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that there's like a nice little like undercurrent throughout the entire comic that kind of like touches on power dynamics. And, um, yeah, other than that, I think you're uh, totally right i think it is uh, definitely a not only a deconstruction of heroes but like a deconstruction of like what society was in the 80s um lots of politics in there lots of politics um yeah so i think the next thing well actually hang on before we before we leave this uh was there any particular part of the story or like any issue or anything like that, that like stood out as like your favorite. No, I kind of read it all at once. So. Okay. Okay. I, I, I wasn't really paying much. I think, in fact, I think the version I have, I could like kind of infer when the chapter was different, but it wasn't really labeled all that. You know, obviously you get those breaking points with the, the excerpt excerpts from the autobiography or whatever, but like, mm -hmm. I wasn't really thinking in those terms when I was reading it. So I, you know, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I wanted to, uh, ask that because I do have a, a definitive favorite chapter and that's, um, I think chapter four, uh, I, I, it might be chapter five, but it's the one where, um, you actually learn all about Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. I really think that that is a really spectacular chapter in my opinion i i just loved learning not only how he operates but like kind of like taking a look at his origin story and all the things that actually happened to him that kind of bring him to the point where he is currently within the story um yeah so let's go ahead we'll move on uh and we'll talk about the artwork um one thing that stuck out to me uh, is, and this is something that I didn't necessarily remember when I was, um, I guess, like looking at it, but uh, 
the first the the first time. Um, but like looking at it now, I'm like, oh, weird. That's way different than what a lot of comics do. Uh, and it's really structured on a grid. Like a lot of comics now, they'll have stuff where it's like different size panels and like, you know, different layouts and like some, some things will be like full splash pages, but like others will be like, you know, a weird, like diagonally half. Like I, I feel like there's a lot of room that you can maneuver around in the medium itself, but I really liked the almost simplistic nature of how this was set up with just, it's just a grid and it's usually like a nine panel grid with the occasional like um like where it'll be broken up into even smaller bits or like a one panel will be actually what would be normally two panels that sort of thing um did that stick out to you at all yeah in fact there were there were parts that reminded me of a don't ask me the issue or the year or anything but there was a moon knight comic where the entire thing was basically there was a hostage situation in a building and Moon Knight gets in there and saves the hostages. That's ba that's the whole issue, basically. But the entire thing, each panel is a camera. So you'll get one that's a news reporter and you'll get one and that'll transition to somebody's cell phone footage, which ends up moving up to point at the building. And then you go into the building through a security camera and, and long story short, every panel of the comic is a, a it's from the perspective of a camera. Oh. And that creativity is something I was also seeing in Watchmen where it's like sometimes you have even the first page, it's slowly it starts out of the guy just spraying the or it starts out of the button, I think. And then as it zooms out, you see the guy spraying down the sidewalk and it keeps pulling up and keeps pulling up until you see the window. And so now you know that the the blood down there came from somebody that fell out of this window, right? It's, it's, and I think it kind of goes back to what we were saying where it feels so well thought out that it's really, truly maximizing what you can do with a comic book mm -hmm. in the way it, it, it gives you the information. And I was amazed how many places in the, in the book I was able to mentally construct like the layout of the room or, you know, whatever's with the building, whatever was going on. I always felt grounded in the space, which is hard to do even with cameras because, you know, sometimes you, you see things and the sets built shitty. And so if you're like, it breaks your immersion a little bit where you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense to this. So that doesn't fit there. Like every element of the design of it and the flow of things communicated information really well. And it made me feel grounded in what I was looking at. Um, and that, that's not easy to do. That took a lot of time and a lot of thought for each panel to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think <clears throat> I really think that Dave Gibbons work on this in particular is just really nice. Like and to, to one thing that you pointed out, like there's one uh, there's one panel in I'm relatively sure it's chapter four, um, the, the Dr. Manhattan thing where he it's like he uses a full length like panel, like from top to bottom. Uh, but it's like only the uh, it's only like, uh, it's hard to describe. I don't know how I would say it in words, but anyway, the point is, is that he uses it to establish how 
the scale is and how Dr. Manhattan can actually like move in size to where he can become a giant. And like, I love, I love that. Like, I love that he is able to play around, even though it is in a grid, he's able to play around and show you like scale when like you wouldn't necessarily be able to do that. I don't think in like normal, like the way that comic books are now, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there was, I I definitely noticed that in, I don't know, it was probably the second chapter where uh, Rorschach is sneaking in to go inform uh, Dr. Manhattan and Laurie about the comedian's death. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, he he does that same thing too with the scaling where, Dr. Manhattan's going between sizes, sometimes between panels, but you're able to follow it just, just based on the visuals and it, it, it never gets lost on you. It's never, you never feel like it's a perspective thing or anything like that. It's just totally, all those pieces are understood relative to what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Which is again, something I don't think you get in, in a lot of modern comics. Um, so the artwork I, I wanted to call out specifically is something that I, I think I think you can tell that it was drawn by someone in the 80s. Like I, I feel like art in comics now has a very distinct look to it and art in comics in like the 2000s had a very specific look to it. And, and you keep going back, you know, decade by decade. But like this somehow both feels like it was... 100% drawn in the 80s but also kind of has like a weird like almost timelessness to it if that makes sense hmm. I I'm about to get in trouble so oh boy <laughs> so er, early comics had that that I don't know whatever the printing with the dot printed very very uh like pop art almost Kind of, yeah, because that's just how they had to print the comics and all that. Um, so it's a very classic look. It's very easily recognized and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess in the 90s, 2000s, they um, they they really got to the point where they could, you know, it was all could be digitally printed and all that. And so you got a lot more clear definition. And I almost feel like the 80s because they had moved past the the need for those dot printers into but they hadn't gotten to the digital yet. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the look of it. It's like they almost bit off more than they could chew sometimes. I don't know. In the case of this, I think it's so really well done. Um and the the level of detail and attention to detail is fantastic in there. There's just a look to comics from that era that I don't like cuz it's not as clean as what was right around the corner. Um mm-hmm. But I think the artwork itself is really good. I just, you know, I think there's something, I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, t- I totally understand. Because uh, for the most part, I generally, comics of the 80s, I don't like the look of. I don't know what it is. Like, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint it and tell you this is why I don't like the look of comics in the 80s. But like, I, I do understand what you're saying. Like, there's there's something there that, like, is just off compared to the stuff that came after. Um, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with you, but I, I see what you're saying about that in this. Um, 
I I look at this and I I totally see the I, again I see the thing from the eighties, but like there's something about it that and it's it's possible that it's maybe like the coloring or or something like that but or or maybe it is just the pencils themselves where, where like the drawings are just very good but there's something that um gives it a i don't want again i don't want to say timeless but like it for lack of a better term gives it this sort of like timeless look to it and i don't know um speaking of of that though with the with the colors in specific i noticed something this time that i didn't really notice i think the first time i watched it and i want to see if it stuck out to you as well but did you notice that there are a lot of like almost uh, uh i don't want to say pastel but almost like pastel kind of colors like there's a, a lot of stuff that's not like very striking hard like primary colors for sure like like i don't think that outside of maybe the red that you see w on the button i don't think that the reds really end up being red in this they are more like pinks and magentas or you take a look at like the blues and the blues tend to be kind of like <sighs> either lighter or almost to like a purple edge. Like, did you, did you notice that at all? Not quite. No. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. I didn't, I didn't notice that. Um, what did you just curious? What were you, were you reading a physical copy or? No, I was reading, uh, so I bought it on Comixology. It yeah, says okay. Watchmen 2019 edition. That's what I got, yep. Okay, okay. Yeah, I own the physical copy. I just don't know, I don't know where it's at. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That that stood out to me. There were instances where it wasn't like that. Like, I think that when you, I think it's in Chapter 2, when you find out about everything that happened with the comedian and uh, Lori's mom, like the comedian's costume is like bright yellow, like bright yellow. But like, I feel like the rest of the time, whenever you see a yellow stuff, it's a, again, I think it's like almost like a pastel, like, or like a, a deeply faded color. I think sometimes that was just the, the lighting or maybe, I don't know. Um, you know, I was trying to replicate some kind of lighting or shading or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I agree with you. Um, so I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, there were parts that really stood out to me with like what you're saying about light lighting. Like, uh, I think that the um, the scene where the comedian kills the woman um, who's like, I think, pregnant with his child. And it's like the whole scene is like a like an orange almost like it's supposed to show that it's taking place in a bar or like you take a look it's I maybe in the same chapter but where uh night owl is kind of recollecting about his stuff with the comedian and there's a panel that you see and obviously it's, it's replicating lighting from like the owl ship or whatever but like there's there's one panel in particular where it's just like all yellow um, I don't know. I, I liked the coloring in this a lot. 
because it, again, it feels different. Like I've, I feel like a lot of stuff in modern day, uh, and I, you know, I don't want to like rag on modern comics cause I don't really read them anymore, but like, I feel like a lot of stuff in modern comics just doesn't have the same, like there's no style to it. Uh, and, and I don't want to say that like style over stub substance is a good thing because it's not, but like, I feel like I, I was reading this and there is like a sense of style to it. Yeah. I guess that's the, the, the cleaner end of digital stuff I was kind of talking about is that you get a lot more sharper lines, more defined things. And I guess as time goes on, it becomes more, um, I don't mm. want to say formulaic, but something like that. I don't know. Um, it's hard to say though, because like the most recent stuff I've read is, was, was from Japan. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting take. I didn't. Yeah. I did. It's it's hard for me when reading comics. Like I I'm aware of what penciling and inking and coloring and all that stuff. What that does, mm-hmm. what those positions, what those roles are. It's just hard for me to look at it and, and figure out who who did what or why what was done or, you know, I don't know. It's it's. I think this book looks really good. Yeah. No, I feel that. I understand. Um. All right. Well, I guess uh, we'll we'll move into the the final section. Uh, we'll talk about the characters. I wrote down here the Minutemen, uh, just in case we wanted to bring anything up about them. Uh, I don't have much to say on them outside of the two that are featured pretty prominently, and that is uh, Hollis, who was the first Night Owl, and uh, is her name Sally? something like that silk specter yeah yeah the the first silk specter uh they're the only two that i had anything even remotely like to say about um because they're the only ones that are featured prominently yeah you Um, get some of uh what's his face the the hangman looking guy um uh something justice hooded justice hooded justice that's it yep he plays an important role-ish, um, and I know that, well, he does play an important role because he's the one that in- inspires everyone else to become a hero back in the 30s or 40s or whenever it's supposed to be. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he stops the, the, the rape of, of uh, Silk Spectre. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they weren't as defined characters. You kind of got these little side characters apart from those two that you mentioned, and, you know, they weren't really all that fleshed out um but yeah. yeah i think i think it's interesting that that when you look at it it's the the the, the difference between the watchmen and the minutemen the minutemen were just kind of good people doing good things they didn't have superpowers they were just well maybe not necessarily like the comedian not necessarily good people but um they were just normal people Mm-hmm. Who were fighting crime. They weren't superheroes. They weren't super powered or anything like that. Uh, and so there's kind of a, a pleasant simplicity to it, I guess. Um, yeah. Whereas the level of things being, I mean, you've got Dr. Manhattan and the comedian being sent to fucking Vietnam. Like it's a totally <laughs> yeah. different level of, of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I don't have too much to say on the Minutemen, but they are, 
it is an interesting concept of having just kind of two generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, I, I think that that's what my, my sort of takeaway was as well. Uh, it, it, less so about like, um, like any of the individual characters, but more so that it's a, a unique sort of like look at, uh, I mean, in a, in a meta way, kind of a, a unique look at like what comic books were, you know, when more was growing up versus like what he's trying to do with this book in particular. Um, and I, I think that that's uh, really cool. Uh, but I also kind of think that to, to an extent he is, um, he does I, specifically with Sally and, and um, Hollis again, he kind of makes them, he kind of, I think imbues them with a little bit more uh, of, of the stuff that he is trying to build with the actual watchman there where he gives them more of a, a, I don't want to say personality, but he kind of like uh, adds more to the psychology of those two in specific. Um, like I really, I really, really love, the scenes between Dan and Hollis where they're drinking and Hollis is just kind of lamenting about like how the good old days were. Mm. And I, I just, that stuff really worked for me. Um, the stuff with Sally, I actually find her, I weirdly more compelling in the movie. <laughs> um, like it's interesting because so she's almost raped by the comedian yeah. and then later has an affair with him, which is where, uh, the second silk specter, uh, Lori comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, and she, I feel like there's little bits in, in the book to latch onto with, with her, but I actually genuinely do think that, Carlo Gugino's performance in the movie is a much more nuanced and uh, interesting look at that character, even though, again, she, I mean, in the movie, the movie's like almost three hours long. And I think she's in it for like maybe 15 minutes. Um, but even in that, you get like looks at like she becomes kind of a sex symbol once she retires. Like yeah. she's the uh, again, she's I mean, she uses her uh super yeah 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 um but did uh, you I'm, I'm curious now i watched it yesterday i didn't even know this thing exist existed did you watch the uh what's 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 night owl's book called? um oh what is it called oh uh, if you hadn't asked me i would have been able to tell you yeah uh but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Under the Hood. Under That's the Hood, it yes. If okay. you look it up, they actually produced like a 1970s TV documentary interview show style thing with the actors from the film. Oh, wow. For that, it's like 40 minutes long. You can look it up. And they also did an animated version of the the the, the pirate comic. Yeah, I, I knew about that. Um, yeah. And I, I've watched parts of it, but I didn't know about the uh, Under the Hood. That's actually really cool. Yeah, but you get more of Hollis and Silk Spectre. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I agree. She's she's very 
charming, particularly in that, and and personable and all. And you're getting more of that character, and it's more nuanced. Whereas in this, she kind of existed. She was almost raped, and then she's an old woman. Kind of, yeah. it's not you're not getting too much. Um, yeah, no, uh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't too much to grab onto. In fact, one thing I was watching was saying that it's interesting that for all the tropes this comic book kind of took on the women aren't really one of them like it's you, you're not getting oh quite a yeah deep yeah dive i see what into, you're saying into women in the comic book it's not mm-hmm. not that they're badly written or anything it's just you're not getting as much of a deconstruction of women in comic books as much as the other things you're getting from this yeah um, yeah I feel that. Yeah, I that's something that I definitely didn't necessarily think about when I was reading, but yeah, that that's very true. Uh they don't nearly get as much of a uh deconstructed slant as the the men in the comics do. But yeah, interesting. Um the next character, I guess, is uh Edward Blake, who is also known as the comedian. Um, I think that this is the most easily disliked, dislikable. Hey, mm, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he's a fucking shit bag. He's a shit bag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on, on him? Um, it's interesting because, Like like I said before, his um. You know th- this original group, none of them were superheroes. They weren't super powered or anything like that. And I I first said, well, they're all just good people that are trying to save people. And you get the impression that the comedian is just a guy who likes the violence. Mm-hmm. He's just looking for an excuse to justify those tendencies. And um. He kind of fucking sucks. And what really sucks, and it's, you know, kind of progressive in a sense, because you look at things like, I don't know, fucking Harvey Weinstein or whatever now, where, like, this guy, like, you know, he was a shitbag, but then he just went to work for the government and got off for all those years. Nobody nobody gave a shit. Nobody went after him. No repercussion. Um, the only thing that got him in the end was he was snooping into the wrong thing. Like, so all of his his crimes went unpunished basically he just got to live out his life until you know the end um yeah yeah no it's it's but it's what is interesting though and i guess you could i don't know it's almost i don't want to say it's vague or what i don't know it's weird because okay i'm gonna get into risky territory here so you do have her announce well, I'm going to go change before we go, right? And then mm-hmm. he goes in there, and obviously, it, by all looks, it is rape, right? Mm-hmm. But he does yell out when Hooded Justice comes in, no, she this she wanted this or whatever, which, again, still rape. But then they end up together, and she loves him, and she's kissing the photo at the end, so it almost makes me wonder, was it some like weird role-play thing? I don't know. Like, was that... Yeah, th- that is I don't something know. that is uh, a like, little... So it's like, I don't know. But as far as I can tell, based on what is written, it was rape. But there is like a little room there where it's like, I don't I don't know. It's interesting. 
And that is kind of the one central thing that really does make him a shitbag. It all kind of revolves around that incident. Um, not saying he's a great guy the rest of the time, but it, it's interesting that, that you would think if they wanted to make it perfectly clear, those lines wouldn't have been in there, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, I think it's, it's done much more, uh, I, I hate to, I keep hating to say this, but I think it actually is something that's pulled off better in the movie. Um, because not only is it weird, like a, like a, a weird thing where he is like, she wanted me to, to do it or whatever. But like, he also like, like beats the actual shit out of her in the comic. Like he punches her in the gut. He punches her like right in the fucking mouth. And like, that's true. Like, I don't know. And, and at that time, I don't think she actually had done any sort of like, based on what I could tell, she had done any sort of like physical harm, but like, it was just her telling him no, and then he fucking fucks her up. Punches but her in the, the gut. Yeah. What is in the movie? Because I don't remember it. Much. So in the movie, they're going along. They're kind of like, sort of, sort of being playful with one another. And then she's like, no, like, stop or whatever. And then he tries to force himself on her. And then she like slaps him, and that's what sets him off. Oh. But th- in this, it seems almost like she's saying like, no. Noah spelled N-O and then she like just gets the shit knocked out of her and it's like what <laughs> uh, like it's almost you have to laugh because it's so uncomfortable yeah um yeah I don't I don't I don't have much to say about his character I feel like the, like it is a weird thing that like she does kind of go back to fall in love with him because it's almost, um, it's almost like a, uh, like Stockholm syndrome type thing. I, I feel like where it's like, yeah, well he always wanted me and like, he's here now sort of thing. And so like, let's have an affair. Uh, it, that's, uh, again, that's something that's, I think handled a little bit more, um, uh, is handled a little bit better in the movie where you see Carla Gugino is not having like, like there are like little fat flashbacks and she's like having big fights with her husband. And like, she's like, you know, I used to be someone and, and stuff like that. And then like, I think to an extent, like she sees that like, he still finds her desirable. And so that's why she ends up going with him. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, his character as a whole is some, like, is a very, I, I feel like despicable person who I, I, we'll get into it later. I think Rorschach is probably my favorite character, um, in the book. And like even the stuff that Rorschach says where he's like, you know, he's a Patriot. So he had like a moral lapse or whatever. And I'm sitting there like, no, that the comedian's kind of fucking gross. He's kind of a disgusting asshole who I don't want to have anything to do with. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I guess the, the next place to look would be to, uh, turn to Lori, uh, AKA spilt silk specter Two. Um, I don't have much to say about her actually, because I kind of feel like she's the most 
I, I guess normal of the characters. Uh, she seems to be the one with the with the head on her shoulders the most, which is, uh, I I think refreshing uh, when you take a look at at the way that the rest of the characters are are played out. Um, what what are your thoughts on her? Um. I think she was, she was fine. I, f- I more felt that she was kind of a connective tissue between some other characters. She gives us some perspective on Dr. Manhattan. Um, there's this complex history, obviously, between her parents. Um, and also, she kind of indirectly pushes Dan. Like, more so that he just wants to feel masculine again, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. She didn't leave too much of an impression on me outside of like, like her, her purpose in the story, um, kind of connecting these bits. Obviously, yeah. obviously the, there's, there's some trauma to her character or not, maybe not trauma is not the right word, but you know, this idea that you hate this guy cause he raped your mother or attempted to, and then find out, Oh, he's actually your father. And that's kind of fucked, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I would need to see the movie. For some reason, I remember her being a little bit like we were saying about the first book. Silk Spectre is a little more developed in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie in fucking a decade, but uh, yeah, I don't have too many thoughts on her really. Yeah. I, I, I think she has a, like a little bit more to do uh, in, in the movie than she does in this, but it's still a matter of like, she is, I, like you said, I think she's, connective tissue that kind of like ties Dr. Manhattan to the story, uh, which is actually funny because that's actually what it says in the book. Like she is kept on retainer by the government because without her, Dr. Manhattan might just leave. Yeah. Basically we just, we need you to fuck him every once in a while. Otherwise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is really nice. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, again, I, she does have a little bit more to do in the movie, I think, but it's not, not much. I, I, I don't, uh, the one thing that you said that kind of stood out, uh, to me is the, I guess the video you were watching or, or whatever, like, it is funny to me that like they deconstruct all these heroes, but they don't do, they don't really touch her. Like there's nothing, uh, really like, I hate to say interesting, but there's not much to her character. I don't think. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, but you know, it is what it is. Um, next up we got Dan Dryberg as night owl two or not as, but, uh, also known as night owl two. Um, what did you think about, about this guy? Uh, it's interesting. Um, he's probably, He's probably the most, like, normal superhero-like guy. Like, he just wants to to be out there helping people, I guess, and kind of feels unfulfilled when he's not. Um, Again, like, he's a little bit more interesting than, than Laurie, but he's not really driving the plot too much. I mean, obviously, they both, they both uh, rescue Rorschach, but, like... Or, or get him out of prison or whatever, but, like, 
I don't know. Like he's he especially I don't I don't I don't know. Again, I just don't have too many thoughts on the character. I think it's cool design. Clearly, Batman inspired for uh, yeah. Night Owl two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Night Owl one looks a little odd, but um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you. I think that he is uh, probably the uh, of the main group of people probably the um, second most. Um, I don't want to say boring, but like the second least interesting character. Um, and the thing is, is I like I do think that he has a. Um, he has some stuff going on with him. Like the, the fact that, you know, he does go back and visit the original night owl or the fact that like, you know, when he and Lori try to have sex, he can't get it up until after they, they, uh, go out and start like superheroing again, so to speak. Um, so I think that there is some stuff there. Like there is some stuff to latch onto. And I think that he does, potentially have some more complex stuff hidden away. But the thing is that it is hidden and we never really get to, I I think, sink our teeth into him as a character, Uh, which, you know, is unfortunate because he could uh, ultimately be the hero, so to speak, of the um, of the series. I think this is one of the side effects of, of having it's not as big, but imagine trying to take like the like the Justice League, let's just say the Justice League mm-hmm. and trying to compress it to twelve issues without a Batman comic and a Superman comic and a Wonder Woman comic and a Green Lantern comic. Like you're just getting what is in the Justice League. And mm-hmm. like with Watchmen, there's 12 issues to tell this massive story. You don't have time to, to delve into the life of every single character because there isn't a Night Owl 2 comic, right? You're not getting these, or a Silk Spectre 2. You're not getting any of that. Um, so I think it's just kind of a, a, a side effect of the format that some of these characters aren't quite as explored in depth as maybe you might like. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yes, <laughs> you summed it up. Um, so the next character we have uh, is Adrian Veidt, uh, also known as Ozymandias. Um, he is probably my second favorite character. Um, well, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but... I think that there's a lot of really interesting stuff to to talk about with this character. Um, I don't know what what are your what are your initial impressions? He might be homosexual, but uh, Rorschach never looked into it. <laughs> yeah, um, possibly homosexual. <laughs> that line gave me a laugh. Like, possibly homosexual. I have to look into that. Uh, like, do you? Um, yeah, this guy's interesting because he. It, it's like. Of all the the Watchmen, he's like the most successful, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know, maybe Doctor Manhattan. Um, but like, he's built something for himself. It's kind of like a uh, Silk Spectre One, where she flipped her thing into 
a life of, of fame and all that, right? But mm-hmm. he's he's built an entire industry. He's, you know, when, when Rorschach goes to visit him, he's in the top of a skyscraper and he's just got action figures of him and, and you know. Um, and somehow in that almost, I don't want to say isolation because it's more of a Dr. Manhattan thing, but like he actually thinks he can ultimately save the entire world and almost feels like that rests on his shoulders. But mm-hmm. even at the end, like when he's asked, like, how, how can you live with, you just killed 3 million people. He's like, well, I have to, I have to, I have to sleep with that and I have to see them in my dreams and all this stuff. But you, I didn't buy it. It's almost yeah. like he's trying to, to say, well, yeah, it did. It did impact me. It did impact me. But all he's really thinking about is I won, you know, I got exactly what I wanted. My plan worked out without a hitch you know and he, so he's kind of just this i don't know what word i'm going for everything's everything goes his way everything works for him everything works out you know he he did the superhero thing that worked out he flipped that into a successful career and then he saved the world right which yeah sounds like the dream for a lot of people but then when you look at what he actually did in the end you know <laughs> when yeah. you actually add the context of what happened he's fucked up like, yeah, yeah, that's the that's the thing that I wanted to, I, I think, latch latch onto the most with this character is that, like, I think that he actually legitimately does see himself as a hero, um, like to the point where, like, he's a hero by bringing back like, isn't it his company that has the uh, nostalgia perfume? Yeah. So like yeah. he brings this back to the people sort of thing or like he he's created this empire, this like this business empire that he is giving stuff to the people. I really think that in his head he has this almost like God complex where he thinks that he is the hero of this story. Yeah. Um, whether he actually is or not is uh, left up, you know, to us. But I don't view him that way at all. And I, I do see him as this very flawed and, and I fucked up individual who like, uh, I think in different circumstances would maybe not do the same thing. Um, but yeah, H he's just, I think he's a really well-written character that I don't remember him being from the first time I read this. Uh, I, I remember him being very much a uh, dastardly type villain, um, but he's not that at all. I kind of, as I'm thinking about it now, I almost feel like Ozymandias and Rorschach are like, like Ozymandias is Bruce Wayne that was never Batman. And mm-hmm. Rorschach is Batman that was never Bruce Wayne. He never had the wealth or anything because he's just mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a bum almost. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Ozymandias is just wealthy and trying to save the world. But, you know, even though he was a superhero and, and did all that stuff, like, right? Like, like he's just purely trying to use his wealth um, to do things. And it doesn't quite work like that. He just yeah. he almost feel like he feels like he can just buy world peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally see that. Um, yeah, I, I don't. 
know that I necessarily have much more to say other than, I mean, we kind of covered his plan, uh, but he's, he's got the nickname, the world's smartest man. And in a way, I kind of think he isn't, but also he kind of is because he, he does get away with this. Um, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> so like, yeah, totally. Just, and even at the end, like, I mean, the only way he doesn't is with Rorschach's journal at the end, but you don't even know if that's going to go anywhere. I guess this new TV show, whatever. But like, as far as the comics concerned, you don't even know if he's ever going to even get found out for it. Yep. And even after he's done it, like, it's hard to imagine that, like, if this was the Justice League and the same thing had happened, that, like, mm-hmm. Superman wouldn't beat the shit out of him or something. Like, if he just killed three million people. But it's kind of like they all go, well, shit, and just kind of nothing we can do now. And, just, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. and, and Silk Spectre and Night Owl just go fuck and it's like what (laughs) all right sure okay Um, fucking strange yes um and then dr manhattan's like well i guess i'm gonna go find another galaxy because like this one's kind of fucked so yeah yeah i love that he leaves and is like yeah i guess i'm gonna go find someplace else to live i gotta gotta find i gotta find some simpler people man this is (laughs) uh uh lord um yeah, well, uh, I mean, I guess this is a good place to to transition over to John Osterman, aka Doctor Manhattan. Um, yeah, if if Ozymandias uh, isn't uh, my second favorite character of the book, uh, I think Doctor Manhattan definitely is. Um, I think that this is a very interesting and definitely complex character uh that in normal comics would be the hero i think but uh yes what what are your what are your thoughts on dr manhattan we already talked about it a good bit i think he's definitely a kind of a cynical take on on superman mm-hmm. where it's like okay well if superman was really here he would be so far beyond us that he wouldn't even be able to relate to us on a human level um the fact that like dr manhattan has to be convinced that humanity is even worth saving and the thing that convinces him that humanity is worth saving is that it's a it's a miracle we even exist at all like it's not it's not our value it's nothing like that it's just like well it's amazing they even exist at all and isn't that you know, interesting. It's like <laughs> the fact that we have a superhero who's like, should I even be involved in this shit? Like, this is what are the, what are these humans? Like whatever it's, I yeah. don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely an interesting take on that kind of character. Um, but I think we kind of summed it up mostly when, when it was like, it's a, it's a, not a critique, but it's a deconstruction of a Superman character. Or mm-hmm. of a true superhuman in a world of most of these people are just people. They're just mm-hmm. people putting on a suit. But Dr. Manhattan is fucking, he's a re, he's the real deal, right? Yeah. And that, uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. We, that's basically what his character is. Um, but there was one thing that I wanted to bring up. We didn't talk about earlier that I think actually makes him, even more of like an interesting uh, character. Uh, and that's that 
he so you're right like he doesn't have like he doesn't quite relate to humans or anything like that and he's very uh, uh stoic almost but there's the one issue in particular where you actually do see that even though with all of this stuff that is happening, he still has like emotions and feelings and stuff like that. And that's yeah. when he finds out that, well, he thinks he finds out that his former girlfriend or wife and several coworkers around him have terminal cancer and that he could potentially be the cause. Um, and, I really love that scene. Uh, I think that that's probably my favorite scene in the entire book. Uh, just because it does like, he is this, uh, well, he's, he says in the book, I think he says he's not omniscient. He's only able to see stuff that happens to him. Like, but that particular moment was something that like, showed that he is not an omniscient God and that there is still a person in there. And, uh, yeah, I think he's very, um, I don't know. I I think he's a great character. Uh, and he's, yeah, yeah. That's what I want to (laughs) say. Um, all right. The final character we've got is Walter Joseph Kovacs, uh, also known as Rorschach. Um, and I've already said it before. He's my favorite character. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and take it away with your thoughts? He is like the ultimate hypocrite. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. always talking about never compromise and all his values and look at all this scum in this city and, and this horrible state of things and whatever. And it's like, he's dismissing rape allegations and like breaking into people's homes and just eating their food and (laughs) just snapping off random dudes fingers to get information that he probably doesn't even get the information anyways. Like it's just, it's, 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 I don't know. But at the same time, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. It's like, he gets the job done. I guess. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like he doesn't save New York or whatever. It's like, he doesn't stop that Ozymandias plot, but he still gets the information out there in some way. Um, he sends it to like the shittiest news source possible. Um, where like the one guy in charge of picking stories is some fucking kid who's just wants to eat his cheeseburger. Like it's like, he didn't even send it to a major publication. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 interesting. I, I I love the fucking design of the character for one thing. He's probably the coolest looking character in the whole book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it's just interesting because he does kind of like Ozymandias. He's not a perfect person, but he does kind of get where he's going. Mm-hmm. Like Ozymandias is successful. Rorschach is also successful at getting the story out and, and exposing it, which is his whole goal. Um, yeah. So I think my feeling on these characters is kind of summed up just by saying like what I said before, where these kind of like the two halves of Batman without the other there to balance it. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I feel that. And I, I think to to an extent, that's definitely, I, th- I think, Rorschach for sure. I, I think you take a look at, like, the stuff. I, I think you really get into it with uh, the scenes with him in the um, the psychiatric office after he's arrested, where this is where you really learn about him, right? And you learn about the stuff that happened with his mother as a child, and uh, that totally informs his view of women and female sexuality later when he's talking about the the women on the the streets and how they're like sluts and whores but even like he calls like the first silk specter a whore you know um and like i think that like when you look at everything that happens within that that one portion of the of the whole book i want to say it's like chapter six or something like that you really get a much more fleshed out depiction of someone who has loads of mental anguish. You know, he talks about the, the murder of the, uh, the two girls and how that affected him, which was by the way, that those were real. Those were real girls. Yes. If I remember it's referencing a real murder. Oh shit. I didn't know that. Uh, That's interesting. That's really interesting. yeah. Wow. I, I That's crazy. That is a real event. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> that, that's added, added context. Um, but yeah, yes. the yeah. one thing that, uh, K- Kenny, Kitty Genovese, whatever real, real murder in 1964. That's crazy. Um, yeah, uh, that's, nuts <laughs> honestly uh but the the one thing that you brought up i i think he's it really is that he is uh, like a huge hypocrite and that that is i think probably why he ends up being my favorite character because he is so like he does have morals but like uh something that I've heard said before and I and I totally stand behind is like if if you have morals at all you're also a hypocrite because something will come up against those morals that you will disagree with. Yeah. And I I think that that makes Rorschach a very complex character and uh I mean for lack of a better term he is the hero here and Personally, I think at the end, I think that he is kind of right in some of the things that he's saying where, like, it's not okay to just kill three million people. I I mean, I understand. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I I get the point that that what um, Ozymandias is trying to get at, like, I understand. But, like, you probably could have found a better way to do it you know, without killing three million people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably. There's probably a way. I mean, he could have, what if he just dropped this thing in the middle of the ocean where it would have been easily found or something. And then suddenly humanity discovers this thing and is like, Oh shit, there's aliens out. Like, yeah, there was, there was better ways to do this. Um, maybe in the same way you could look at, uh, I guess that is a parallel to the comic book. Is that, um, okay, this guy's on an island, 
that's close enough to have multiple ships go by. He could just live on the island until a ship goes by. Instead, he builds a raft half out of dead bodies <laughs> that are going to attract sharks. Like, And then he just drinks salt water the whole time. Like, yeah, there was a better way to do it. Like, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like there's a line in there from Rorschach that's like, what is it? Even in the face of Armageddon, never compromise mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's that it kind of boils that down, you know, it boils down the character where, yeah, he is a hypocrite, but he's not necessarily breaking his own rules, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that would make him not a hypocrite, but he, he he's holding society to a standard and somehow thinking he's a higher than it, but he still does hold society to that standard. And that's what drives him to do these things. And in the end, he's willing to just die. Yeah. You know, because he's not going to ever, you know, say he's not going to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a, he's a ridiculously complex character that I, I really love. Um, did, was there, well, I say I really love, I also want to point out that I think he's kind of a, kind of a fucking bastard. Like I, I don't like the stuff again, where he's like, yeah, you know, the comedian had a moral lapse just because, you know the comedian he's a war hero like, so like, you know, like i don't know I, I, rorschach is definitely kind of like an asshole but like i i think that i i i love how complex his character is especially when you can contrast him with someone like say you know night owl 2 who i i think there is some stuff there that you could potentially latch on to but it's not in the text at all. I, and I don't even know that it's in the subtext. Maybe it's in like the sub 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 text of, of the book. Whereas Rorschach it's, it's there. Like I, there's one panel in particular that I really love where he's like, he says something about, um, it, like give me my face or something like that. And he's talking about the mask. Like his, he doesn't consider his like he considers his outside persona, like the, the outward facing the guy carrying around the sign. That is not his true self. Rorschach is his true self. I just, I don't know. Like there's so many little things that you can like grasp onto that I think are like really, really, really greatly written. I think, um, but yeah, uh, let's go ahead. We'll get to our final thoughts and, and get a rating on this. Um, what? Uh, how you want to do the rating? Happy face buttons out of 10. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead. You take it away. So as we said before, I think this, this comic is beautifully drawn. I think it's really well planned out and thought through the, the, the way the, the story ties together, the backgrounds of the characters, the, the you know, history of the world. It's all clearly very carefully thought through and developed. Um, it really, as far as comics books go, it is a masterpiece of the medium in terms of just how it presents a story through it. It is fantastic. And I fucking hate this story, the cynical fucking <laughs> view of the world it's deconstruction for deconstruction's sake. Why the fuck do we need to deconstruct superheroes and make them feel, well, in the real world, it would be like this. Superman exists 
for kids to read and feel like they can help people too. It's meant to inspire people. And all this comic book does is say, well, it wouldn't fucking happen like that in the real world, so suck it. Like, it, it's it, the whole thing reeks of cynicism and nihilism. And it's just, I fucking hate this story. I thought <laughs> that when I watched the movie that it was Zack Snyder, because Zack Snyder can't make anything not depressing. But... Now reading this, I'm realizing, wow, Zack Schneider did a really good job of adapting this book because he got the tone perfect. Like, it's just miserable. And I I guess some people like that. Some people want to look at things and be like, well, the real world sucks, so, like, so should our art. But, like, I just hate this. And, like, especially comparing it to other things like recent things like The Boys, which is also a very cynical view of superheroes. Or uh, Invincible. I won't spoil anything with that because it's still newish. I don't know about the comic, but the show is. But, like, at least those have some element of people really trying to do the right thing and looking for hope in this world. Like, this is a world I would never want to set foot in the world of the Watchmen. I never want to spend any more time in it. I just fucking hated this, this story. <laughs> as well done <laughs> as it is. So I'm going to give this... I guess I'll just give it a 5 out of 10 because technically it's very well done, but completely subjectively on that end, I fucking hate this thing. <laughs> I've been, I, I don't know, I was trying to be really measured through the whole episode. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, no, I, I feel you. Yeah, it's, man. Um, I want to echo that sentiment to a degree. Uh, this book is not an easy read. Um, I don't, I don't think at all. Um, I think that this book is, again, it's full that there is no optimism, even within like the characters themselves. Like, I don't think that there's a single person in this book that sees like any sort of like optimistic outlook on life on like though their worldview, like I, I don't think that there's a single person in here that is like remotely close to offering up any sort of like uh, hopeful solution to anything. Um, but with that said, I think that that's kind of what makes it wonderful. Uh, I think that, when you look at everything that happens within the story, it totally makes sense why everyone would be cynical. Like you take a look at the stuff, you know, with the comedian in Vietnam and like, uh, when, when you take a look at everything that happens within the story, I completely understand the, the reasoning that they would, uh, you know, kind of go the route that they did. Um, in terms of their outlooks on life. I kind of love this book. Um, I don't think that it's without its flaws. Uh, you know, like you said, I do think that it kind of, in some respects, I think it does kind of wallow in its own, like, cynicism and nihilism. And, uh, you know, I think that part of what makes comics great, like you said, is that, they are like a an escape and they are like a fun escape that gets you through things. Um, but I, I love taking a look at these characters and I, you know, especially those 
those last three that we listed, you know, Dr. Manhattan, Ozymandias, and, and Rorschach, I think are some of the most complex characters in all of comic books. Uh, I really do think that, like, this is a exceptionally made book with some really powerful art and some stuff that really leaves you thinking. I love the ending to this book where it kind of says, I, I mean, I, we can lay it out right here. I think the genius of this book is that it ends saying, figure this out for yourself, but also the, uh, more or less the protagonist of this story is someone named Rorschach whose masks yeah. like changes and stuff like that. And I think that that's genius. Um, this is a, this is a great book, uh, that, unfortunately does you know have some darkness to it um but I, yeah and i, I don't want to i don't want to say i want everything to be all happy shiny 1960s batman tv show kind of whatever i do like it when there's you know more mature themes and, and darkness present in it in plots and stuff it's just it hits you over the head with it and then they don't succeed in the end and the bad guy gets it gets away with it and like it's it's all for nothing it's just yeah. so depressing and like <laughs> at the end like i do think the end is clever where it kind of leaves it to you and like well did rorschach win or not who knows um but all i could think was there's this movie the robert redford movie called uh three days of the condor mm-hmm. that came out in 75 that has this pretty it's basically that ending um so that that took a little bit away and I'm not saying he stole it or whatever it's just like I've seen that ending done before Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah I don't don't know again like on a technical level I think this is a fantastic comic book I just hate that the on the subjective end that there's just so much in this that I cannot stand like it was um, (laughs) it was it hurt to read at some point because I was like I just wanted to be out of this world yeah (laughs) I just wanted to be done with these people yeah, I I I understand completely. Um so that said, uh I'm going to put my final rating on this at a 9 bloody stained smiley faces out of 10. Um yeah, and we'll uh We'll go ahead. As always, you can find us on social media for all things Culture Pop, Culture Pop Selects, and the Culture Pop family of content. Uh, we've got uh, Culture Pop on Twitter at Culture underscore Bop, on Instagram at Culture underscore Bop, and on YouTube at Culture Pop. Uh, I am available on Twitter at the Bebop Man182, on Instagram at Bebop Man182, and on Twitch, where I actually streamed on Wednesday. Uh, sort of, kind of. Big time internet issues for whatever reason uh but that's at the underscore bebop man we have gilbeasy at instagram or on instagram at gilbeasy skit uh and next week you're i'm glad you highlighted that because i almost forgot again uh next week if you want to follow along our culture bop selects will be focused on the 1998 anime cowboy bebop uh, so we'll be doing that in preparation for the new show that's coming out in two weeks, three weeks, something like that. I'm anticipating a happier reception. Yes, I think uh, I think both of us are going to be uh, very positive on that. 
Um, we'll actually be joined by a special guest that episode, correct? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So look forward to that. Um, last thing that we want to, uh, point out is that you can find this podcast, uh, and all of the other endeavors that we're undertaking as culture Bop over at patreon.com slash culture If you go over there and toss us a pledge, uh, we are offering some very cool perks. Uh, we've actually, um, gotten this second podcast out because of the fact that we have a Patreon now. Um, but once we start hitting our goals, uh, we're going to be coming out with even more stuff, uh, and better stuff. Might I add, uh, this, we might actually be able to afford people to edit for us and, and what have you. Um, but yes, go over there, support us if you can. And if you can't, that's completely okay. Be sure to do, you know, the whole thing. Do the the liking, the sharing, the subscribing, that sort of thing. Uh, and until next time, goodbye. This city's afraid of me. I've seen its true face. The streets are extended gutters, and the gutters are full of blood. And when the drains finally scab over... All the vermin will drown. The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up around their waists. And all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, Save us. And I'll whisper, No. No.